Let's go through every single package installed with a Linux install image. I'm going through the software included with Slackware, but these are all open source applications and libraries, so whether you're running Slackware like me, or Fedora, Debian, BSD, or even Mac or Windows, you can probably download, install, and try these on your computer. So chances are, you'll be able to learn something from this podcast. Let's get started. Top of the list is Krita, K-R-I-T-A. This is a KDE application that has that has made it big. I mean, it really has. It's a it's a big application and it's got a big audience. It is on Steam. It is, I think, on some kind of tablet, and it's just a normal application. And it runs on like all the platforms. I mean, it, it it's everywhere. And people from all over are using it. It is it is Blender level sort of universality. Why? Well, because it's really good. I mean, it's an it, it's an extremely powerful application with a very robust brush emulation and material emulation engine, such that you know if you open up Color Paint, for instance, which I think I've talked about this one, Color Paint, you grab a pencil or a paintbrush tool, and you paint some red on a canvas, and then you paint some cyan on the canvas. It's just, you're just replacing the red with a cyan. That's that's all you're doing. It's just pixel overwriting pixel. The colors don't mix. When you when you run a, a, um, a color through another color, it doesn't cause the other color to sort of streak or to, to, to sort of you know, blur the lines. It's just, that's, it's very sort of rudimentary. You're just painting pixels. There's certainly nothing wrong with that, but Krita attempts to mimic how things would happen on your screen. It, 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 it wants to mimic what would happen in real life. And so it gives you a lot more flexibility over how you paint, uh, how you paint pixels. Not only do you get different textures and, and different, uh, pressures that you could use but you, you also just have, you you get different pretend materials so that you might be painting with watercolors in one moment or an acrylic in another or you might not be brushing with anything you might be using pens or pencils or charcoal and so on and most of those properties are customizable you can go into each each thing that you decide to use you can you can go into the the brush settings and and shift them around you can change how they how they blend with each other whether they blend with each other now to support the project you can you can certainly you can support the project through any number of donation points and part of the reason that i use it is as a potential replacement for gimp now, nothing's wrong with GIMP. I, I have no problem with GIMP. I, I, I quite enjoy it. But I do like alternatives, as I've said before. I like to know other applications that do similar tasks. And it, I started noticing that Krita was quite good at what it did. And I started to suspect that possibly it had gotten good enough to not just be a painting application. And frankly, I mean, I'm not a painter. I, I don't I don't illustrate. I don't paint. I'm, well, I do I paint things, but I don't, I don't, I'm not a painter. That's not the primary use case for me. I mean, I do, I, I love to mess around with Krita. I, I do like playing in that application, but I, I cannot say that, that, that the results are, are, are good or that I'm using all of the, the painter specific features 
as as much as I should. And I've seen real I've I've seen professionals use Krita, and by professionals I mean people who make money because they paint good. I've seen them use Krita, and it's it's astounding. It's it's amazing, and I've seen them at, at quite large companies using it. So it is neat to see, but it's not me. But I do do a lot of graphic editing and and photo editing. So I thought, why not try Krita? Why not evaluate Krita as a, a photo editor? And I came up with five sort of requirements, or expectations anyway, of what one might think a photo editor should be able to do. And I, I evaluated Krita for those five things. So one was layers, two was selections, three was filters, four, CMYK and ICC profiles, and then finally, retouching. So I'm going to go over these, each of these individually now. Uh, layers for photo editors, I mean, that was one of the major sort of game-changing features of digital photo editors from the very start. The idea that you could have two images sort of on top of each other in a digital space, and then you could use the alpha channel to, to see through one and down through the other. It was, it, it changed the way people were able to work on, on images, really. So it's a basic requirement. It's something that, honestly, it's so basic at this point, I could probably have just skipped over it, and you'd have assumed, well, Krita would have layers. Of course, Krita has layers. It does. But it doesn't just have layers. It's got 12 different kinds of layers. Now, I'll admit, more doesn't always mean better, but the thing is that Krita actually it's it's a useful it's a useful thing that it that it has all of these different kinds of layers. First of all, you got paint layers. That's the default layer. That's just your normal layer. They call it a paint layer because Krita is natively a paint application, so that made sense for for it to be a paint layer. I'm just gonna call it, I just call it a layer. It's a it's a digital image layer, but a paint layer is fine. The pixels on that layer are painted. There you go. Then there's vector that might seem odd because Krita isn't a vector application. It, it does raster graphics. However, the vector layer is where it puts it, it puts text because text is vector. Three, group. That's a folder for layers. It's a great feature. Uh, GIMP recently has acquired that, that feature as well. So it's, it's not that big of a deal, but it's nice to have. Four, filter. This is a layer containing nothing but an effect, which then gets applied to everything below it. So it's kind of like you're putting a special effect on a piece of glass and, and then setting that glass over the image. Five, filter mask. It's like a filter layer, but instead of a filter, it's a filter mask that gets attached to just one other layer. So because it is a layer and not like a jumble of settings that get a that gets applied to a layer. It's easy to duplicate it on another layer, or you can stack it with other filters, and so on. Six, colorize mask. Uh, this is a mask for colorizing regions of a picture um, with just one stroke of a paintbrush. This is very much an illustrator's tool, and I found little to no use of it for, uh, uh, for this tool in photography or graphic editing. But I imagine, I imagine you could play around with it and have some interesting effects result, or just use it, you know, when you're painting. Seven is a clone layer. That's an effect layer that updates based on its uh, parent. It's a little like an alias or symlink for layers. Uh, it can be helpful when you need one layer to be 
in more than one place. So for example, you could group an effect layer and a clone layer to isolate a special effect without actually moving your source layer from its group. Fill, the eighth one is a fill layer. Uh, it contains a fill, which can be anything from a solid color to a gradient to a pattern or, or noise. You can combine this with compositing modes and, and come up with really interesting effects because again, it's a layer, so it's going to affect everything underneath it if with the right settings. And it is just a layer, so you can change it around, you can modify it, you can edit it on a whim. It's, an, it, it's not baked into anything else. The ninth kind of layer is a file layer, and this dynamically loads a file as a layer. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because when the file changes, so does the layer. You never have to open dozens of files to change a company logo or a watermark or, or iconography or, or whatever. Like it's just, you just, you're just piping a file into a layer. It's amazing. Tenth, um, selection that stores selections as layers. It's attached to a paint layer. So you can only ha you only have to select like that important region one time. You, you, you get the selection right on a selection layer and then that selection exists forever or whenever you need it. Really, really useful. Um, in GIMP, you can simulate this a little bit. You, you select the thing that you need and then you fill your selection in on its own layer with like pure white or pure black or pure something. And that way you can always sort of like get back to that shape and turn that shape into a selection again. So you you can do the same thing, but in Krita, it's it's a layer that you can just have and just have floating around forever. 11, transparency. If you've ever wanted to paint with alpha, now you can. Black paint produces 100% transparency. White paint produces 0% transparency. And then you've got all the shades of gray between those two extremes. And then finally, there's a transform layer where you can apply transformation to a layer. And again, because it's a layer type, it's easy to modify and change it later without affecting any other layer. You're just affecting the transform layer. And I mean, you are, it affects other layers, but you're doing it always independently of that source layer. So that's huge. I mean, it's, it's a big deal. And speaking of selections, photo editing applications need the ability to select sometimes complex and uneven parts of a photograph. Sometimes you want to remove an element from a frame. Other times you want to emphasize it or duplicate it or adjust it in some way. And Krita has all the selection tools you would ever want. I'm not saying it has more or less than any other graphical uh, application. That's not the, that's not the goal here. I'm just confirming that Krita has the selection tools that you would expect your editor to have. It's got your basic rectangle, your elliptical, your freehand, your, your freehand um, selection, sometimes called a lasso in other applications, polygonal and contiguous color. It also has similar color selection tool, which is kind of contiguous color selection, but f for the entire uh, image. GIMP has that as well but not, not as a tool, it's a menu selection, doesn't, ma doesn't make a difference whatsoever. Like they're, it's the same. Uh, like these are, again, this isn't Krita like doing something better than anyone else. This is Krita 
doing what's expected if you're thinking of using Krita as a as a photo editor. There's also a Bezier selection tool and a magnetic selection tool that kind of helps you find edges as you draw your selection. It's it's like an assisted freehand. I feel like I've seen this before somewhere else. I can't remember if it's GIMP or whether it was a long time ago in some other like non-open tool like a long, long time ago. This is a great assortment of selection tools. Um, I, I find myself using them for quick and easy selections. Uh, and of course, there's the selection layer and the global mask layer. So, I mean, you've got all the options you could ever want. Um, masking is something that I did in GIMP a lot as well. I mean, I, I, I say did. I do. I still use GIMP. Um, masking is really, really useful. Basically, when you do a, a mask, you create you create a layer with 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 some content in it. Then you erase the content that you want to turn into a selection, and then you convert your mask to a collection to to a selection. And the parts where you have you know painted in one color becomes the selection, and everything else gets dropped. So it's 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 a it's a method of drawing of, of drawing a selection without sort of having to deal with the little marching ants all the time, you know. And you can use familiar tools. You can you can use like a brush or a big chunky brush, so you can select a big big area at one time, that kind of thing. So masks are are really useful. Okay, uh, so that was selections. The first one was layers. Now we're on filters. Um, you know, the editing, the graphical editing industry moves in a cycle. And you may or may not be very aware of it if you're just looking. But if you think about it, you, you, you'll you notice it. Um, once upon a time, drop shadows were the sign of advanced digital artistry. Like If you had a drop shadow on your on your website graphic, the title of your website, like that meant you knew how to use advanced image tools. And how cool was that? And then later it was like 3D bevels, you know, where you would take a straight line and you would highlight the top half of the line and darken the bottom half. And it looks like, as a result, it kind of looks like light is hitting like a 3D object. That was popular for a while. Glows got really popular. Gloss, certain a little glossy sheen to things or a reflection. That was popular. Of course, lens flare, that really got popular. Um, these filters get overused, but I mean, you, you don't have to overuse them. You can use them judiciously, but those are the effects that make photo editors really, really useful sometimes as these, these digital effects. And as, as funny as they, they are sometimes when you overuse them or when you look back retrospectively, you look at something and you think, oh, I see that they were very excited about that effect at that time. You don't always, it doesn't have to be something like that. You, you can make your own effects. You can, you can use them wisely. You can use them to highlight things. You can use them to integrate things. Something is not really there, but you need it to be a little bit hotter up here than down there because of how the light should be hitting objects in this picture. You know, I mean, it's a really, really useful thing. So like traditionally in a dark room, like a photo dark room, like when you were developing photos. You had certain tools like dodging and burning and things like that that you could do. And so you would expect that to be in your photo editor. editor. And, and all of these things are available in Krita is the point. Like all of those ridiculous filters, they're here, really. Um, 
I mean, heck, open source honestly has been has been kind of at the forefront of a lot of these effects. Uh, the content aware selection thing where you could like select a person and just remove them from the photo and the your editor would fill in the background that that was a big adobe um sort of uh thing that they they advertised like that was a big demo thing that adobe would do when they were talking about you know the latest i don't know photoshop 7 or whatever it was and and not everyone knew but that was something that they'd bar they they took from gimp like gimp had that first resynthesize is what the gimp um uh, filter was called if i recall correctly and and it had been pioneered in gimp and and adobe just kind of like used it and then used it in their marketing materials not a not a thanks or a how do you do uh krita benefits from all of that open source progress um, it has a bunch of different filters and effects, color balance, contrast, levels, threshold, saturation, and Gmic, 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 whatever, however you say it, it is a, a plugin collection from uh, gmic.eu. It stands for Gracie's Magic for Image Computing, Gmagic for Image Computing, Gmic, Gmic. Um, you can go there, gmic.eu. It, it's not just for Krita. It just happens to also be for Krita. And it's it's a robust effects tool. It has a lot of different effects that it can do. Not all of them are useful. I mean, you know, it's... I mean, all of these things, it's just how... what someone else can do quickly to a an image. And it's up to the artist or the, the editor to figure out how they want to utilize that. It can be overwhelming. There's a lot there. But as I say, that's that's really useful to, you know, when when you need when you need just the right look or you need just a unique look, then having those those toys that you can just mess around with is really useful. And you would expect that in a digital uh, editor. Okay, the fourth category was CMYK and ICC profiles. Look, I've had several things professionally printed for various companies that I have either designed or had some hand in, never had any issue with this. But some people say that they need, that they absolutely require the CMY color space for their workflow. And I'm not going to, not going to say they don't. I'm just saying that I've never had a problem with it when using GIMP, but it is a famous argument against GIMP. People say, I can't, I would totally switch to GIMP, except it doesn't have CMYK support. I I am highly, highly skeptical of that argument. I think a lot of times you could switch to a tool that doesn't have support for something and then use some other tool to convert your color to CMYK if that's truly what you needed. And I don't think most people actually need it. I'm not saying there's nobody that needs it. I, I'm sure that someone literally does need that. Like they cannot, they cannot they're not okay. They cannot be okay with color conversion. It just doesn't work for them. I mean, heck, I've been in environments where that where that is the case, where color conversion not not an okay. That's not a price that you can pay. Um, I've been in environments where it is okay, and essentially you you convert up to a more inclusive color space, do your work, and then you export back out to the other color space. So I've, I've definitely been in places where that has been true. But again, GIMP doesn't have that flexibility or at least hasn't hasn't developed that flexibility in terms of RGB and CYK color uh, support. So Krita 
happens to have both RGB and CMYK modes, and it has full support for ICC color spaces, so you can match modes and profiles to other applications and devices like monitors in your pipeline, which is huge. I mean, it is huge. Like, even though I'm skeptical that not everyone who says that they would use GIMP but for its lack of CMYK, um, I, I, I do recognize that there are those for whom, actually, that is legitimate. And Krita could, I, I think, from, from what I've just said, layers, filters, um, layers, filters, what was the other thing? Selections. Like all the different tools that Krita has, I think CMYK and ICC profiles, I mean, I don't see why you could or how you could not then be okay with, you know, like that would be, that would be it. That would be the thing that would, it would, there's no argument against Krita at this point. Um, the fifth category I was thinking of was retouching. I mean, retouching is a, a big deal. You need to smooth over wrinkles, color in the grays, redden the lips, brighten the eyes, remove a rubbish bin from the background, whatever you need to do to retouch a photo. That's what you would expect in your digital photo editor. And I mean, that's literally what Krita was built to do. Like if you need to, like, it's one thing to, to select something and delete it and then select some bricks, copy them, paste them over, you know, like that, that kind of retouching, that's one thing. But there is that other level of retouching where people are actually like, essentially it's a digital painting after once they're done. You know, they've painted in so many wrinkles and, and retouched so many, you know, so much of this, the, the, the complexion and, and the color of the lips and, and the sparkle of the eyes and all the things that they do. Uh, I mean, you can't get better than Krita for that. I mean, that's, that's exactly what Krita does. It, it, it paints people. People create drawings of people from a blank canvas. So definitely get get a photo in there. And yes, you can you can continue to paint over a photo um, and and make it make it however however you need it to look. So the, the retouching is not is probably the least of your concerns. And as I say, all of the other things, all the other stuff that it's got, the selections and the layers and the filters and the CMYK and the ICC. I think we're looking at a at something that accidentally is a really really good photo editor. It again, it believes that it is a painting program. And who am I to argue with it? I mean, I presumably it is a painting program and a very good one at that. But f the way that I use it and I, I think the way that anyone who needed a good photo editor could use it, it, it can absolutely be a GIMP or certainly a Photoshop replacement. Easy, easy. No, no hesitation in that. And I mean, I know all the arguments, you know, like, oh, I don't know Krita as well as I know X. And that's perfectly acceptable. It's, it's why I didn't use Krita for a very long time. I mean, honestly, just the, the time, the time it took me to do a simple task in Krita for a while compared to how I did it in GIMP, it just made it, it just made it silly to open up Krita, but you know, it's, it's the whole thing. You, you uninstall GIMP, you pretend like it doesn't exist anymore and you just force yourself to suffer for like a week and then suddenly you're on your way and then you get really good and then you're really, really good and you're, you're not even opening up GIMP anymore. Well, you can't cause you uninstalled it in this scenario, but you know, you install it again and then you forget to open it cause you just keep opening up Krita. So 
Krita is a really, really cool application, and I can't recommend it enough. It is, I mean, you've definitely seen artwork created in Krita. Like it's, it is being used in a lot of big places by, by artists who like, that's kind of the wonderful thing about a lot of the art applications out there. Not all of them, because some of them have to fit into a very specific pipeline. But the beautiful thing about that sort of thing is, is that it doesn't, it doesn't actually matter how it got from A to Z. It just, it just matters that it did get from A to Z. And if you used Krita in the middle of, of that A to Z, that gap between those, who cares? Like no one will know what you used as long as it looks really good when it's done. And that, and that's, that's great. It means a lot of artists actually have the ability to decide what their toolkit is going to contain. And a lot of artists are choosing Krita. I'm going to choose to go get coffee. You should too. some coffee and cross k-r-o-s-s and cross interpreters cross is a scripting back end for the kde framework i never have interfaced with it so i don't know a whole lot about it it started as kexi k-e-x-i which runs on linux and windows and mac from the early days at least that's what they claim I, i've never tried it again i've never interfaced with this at all Cross had a little bit of um, a, a, a kickstart, I guess, when it was adopted by Krita. Um, and so Krita has a very strong scripting backend. Apparently, I didn't actually know that until I was reading up on Cross. So Cross, what, what it does is it just, it, it basically connects your application with a scripting, a, a scripting language. But having said that, it, it doesn't, it doesn't implement the interpreter itself. It just connects the Python script that you're telling to the, your application to, to run to the interpreter that it requires. Apparently, again, I've never done this myself, but there you go. That's that's what it is. So you would call like cross colon colon Python interpreter, which implements the cross dash uh, I mean colon colon interpreter for the Python interpreter backend and then implements the create script factory method to create a cross colon colon Python script instance. Cross Python script class implements cross colon colon script for the Python backend to provide the functionality to execute Python code within a script container, and so on. It, it's out for Python, Ruby, JavaScript, and apparently there was some work done uh, for a Java cross Java backend f for Java, but I don't actually see a sign that that's been integrated into at least the version of cross that that that's running on on Slackware 15. I could be wrong. I'm just saying I don't see any indication that it is there. It, it's also not super clear to me what is here. Um, there's let's see cross. 
5.9. There's a bunch of header files that don't really talk about specific languages, and there are a couple of .so files which don't look like they mention any language. I, I guess, I mean, I could probably look in some of these header files to see if I could really determine what they're implementing, but I think I'll just, I'll just assume that what I've said uh, is good enough, because I think it is. Uh, but, but certainly if you're programming something for KDE and you want to make sure that there is a script, you know, a sort of a scriptable uh, connection into your application, then cross sounds like it could be a very good choice for you. Next up is KRuler. KRuler is a great tool. It is a ruler for your screen, which I realize sounds kind of silly and esoteric. I use it all the time. I don't know exactly what I use it for. I keep forgetting, but I just know that I, like there are several times where I think I need to know how, how far apart those two lines are. And I'll break out KRuler and you can drag your cursor along the ruler to get exactly down to just the the exact pixels and so you can you can determine you know how big a i don't know an icon is or how far apart two lines are or whatever it is you're trying to determine you can right click on the ruler for a bunch of different options like a rotate and scale opacity you can configure a shortcut so that it pops up on, on command. I don't do that. It's not quite, I don't use it that often, but it is a bizarrely useful tool. And it's not something that you really think about that often until again, just in that b bizarre moment, you, you realize, man, if I just had a ruler like in real life, except on my screen, it would be great. Well, that's what K ruler is. Yeah. I love K ruler. Honestly, I would, I, I hope that never goes away. That's one of my favorite tools. K runner. KRunner is the pop-up application in the KDE Plasma desktop to launch things or really run commands uh, that you type. So it's not a it's not a terminal. It, it might as well be to be honest, but but it's not. And um, I used to use it like all the time. But honestly, the K Menu launcher has gotten kind of good enough for me that I kind of use that more often even than, than KRunner. But KRunner is nice. Uh, the default shortcut for it, which I used to have mapped to super space, um, now I just let it be default because that's the way I'm gravitating now on KDE. Just kind of just do whatever they tell me to do uh, because customizing it is just not worth it anymore. It's just fine. Everything's just fine as it is in, uh, for me now. It's, it's really weird. So KRunner... Alt F2, there's the runner, and then I could type in, I don't know, dolphin. Or I could just type probably just D, no, O, yeah, there it is, dolphin, and there's a dolphin window. It just appeared. It's just there. And that's what KRunner does, at least that's what it advertises it does. It, it actually does a heck of a lot more. So if you, if you get KRunner up on your screen, there's a configure icon to the left. And if you click that configuration icon, it launches system settings and goes to the search category and activates KRunner for you. And this is where you kind of realize how cool this thing is. Uh, first of all, you can position it at different places on the screen. You can have it at the top of the screen or in the center. I used to have it in the center and I had it, 
I had somehow configured it, and I don't remember how I did this. Maybe it wasn't even K-Runner. No, I think it was K-Runner. But it had like a, a whole interface to it, like a whole sort of application interface, and it was great. This was back on a, a laptop or something, and I, I loved it, and I just can't remember how I did that. Or maybe it's just not something that happens anymore in KDE5. I don't know. But top or center, and then you can have a history enabled or not. You can retain the previous search or not, and you can make it activity aware or not. I have all those activated, although I don't, I don't really feel like I use any of those things. But at the bottom of this window, there's a bunch of plugins. As I say, there's activities. So I actually do, I think I have activities configured. How do I get there? Control tab? No. Super tab? Yep, that was it. How do I just see activities? I don't know. I, don't, I never use these things. There we go. Desktop and game. Game is the other activity. So, I, which I don't, I don't actually ever use it, but I should, I really should. So if I were to launch or, or bring up KRunner and then type in game, because it's activity aware, it should find that I have an activity called game and then offer to let me switch to it. Well, too bad, because it didn't. <laughs> okay, well, that is awkward. Uh, it says list and switch between desktop activities. That should have worked. That didn't work. Okay, well, then there's ac applications. I mean, that's kind of, to me, that's the default, right? Like, that's what you, you would use KRunner for. There's bookmarks and browser history. I never use that. I always turn those off. There's browser tabs, also turned it off. Um, there is calculator expressions though. I mean, I, I, I use this all the time. Equals 90 plus five, 95. Equals 178 slash four one, uh, four dot three four one four. Four six three four one four six three four one four six. Now, to be honest, the um, K menu has that functionality as well, so I actually don't even use it that much in K Runner anymore. Um, I don't know. I I almost feel like K Runner is just right there at the top of. I can't confirm it, I guess, because it, it it seems to claim that it's a different thing. It's an application launcher, but it sure does feel like K Runner. Um, there's a command line, so you can just you can just type in supposedly the the name of of a command and have that execute. I cannot think of a name of command that I would want to execute right now. I guess I could. What would I do? Like echo hello world close quote. Yeah, I mean it probably executed, but I don't know. Date and time. I can get the current date or time. I guess I don't know how. It doesn't tell me how to get it. Date. Oh, there it goes. I just type in date. Today's date is. There it is. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, so there's there's just on and on. Oh, there's desktop search. I forgot about that. That's yeah, that makes sense. But again, I I, I tend to be so f focused on what I do use it for that I find that the other plugins kind of clutter it up for me, and then I get a, a kind of annoyed. Um, here, here's a. I'm supposed to have a a dictionary here. I don't see a dictionary entry coming up at all. Oh, define is the trigger word. That's why. Okay, so define. Uh, circumspect. It's an adjective, heedful of potential consequences. Circumspect actions. Physicians are now more circumspect about re recommending its use, and so on. Very cool. I don't know, I might be getting back into KRunner now, because this is kind of cool. Anyway, it, it's got a lot of different plugins. I mean, several, several plugins. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, I don't know, a lot. 
um, it's a great little application. And this, I think I just said this the other episode as well, but honestly, this is another one of the things that brought me over to Linux. I had, I had been using a application called Quicksilver on Mac OS, and it was like this very robust sort of global system, just utility kit where you could do a bunch of different things just from one interface. And I thought that was the coolest thing for the longest time. And then I realized that that's just what a terminal does. And if you just use an operating system with a terminal, I mean, Mac OS has a terminal, but I mean a capable terminal, then you basically have the same thing. But then I also discovered KRunner, and it was just like the best of all worlds because this thing just integrates with so much of my system and has so many different plugins. Uh, it was just really cool. So yeah, that, that, that is a go-to for me. Like the ability to hit a key and just start typing the application that I want to launch, whether that's a K menu or just an X, a URXVT terminal on Fluxbox or a K runner interface, whatever it is, or Yaquake, whatever. I, I, I love that immediacy and that flexibility. I don't want it to just do the thing, just launch an application. I want it to do that, but then a bunch of other stuff, should I need it to do a bunch of other stuff? And that's, I feel like that's, that's what that does. That's what KRunner manages to do. Okay, last one for today, I think Crusader. Crusader is a simple dual panel file manager for the KDE Plasma desktop and other Linux desktops, obviously, but it's, it's here in KDE. It's kind of the power user's alternative to Dolphin, I guess, or or maybe the uh, the Qt slash KDE framework answer to Midnight Commander. Midnight Commander, of course, is the old, well, no, it's not. Well, yeah, it is an old file manager that, from what I understand, mimics Norton Commander, I think is what it was called. Is that what it was called? Whatever it was. It was a dual panel thing, I guess, for DOS that a lot of people loved. Then it became Midnight, or, you know, someone implemented something called Midnight Commander. And it's just, it, it's the dual layout, a lot of people seem to really like that. And that's what Crusader is able to provide. It gives you the dual panel experience. Although, having said that, it doesn't have to be a dual panel experience. You, there's, it's actually a really flexible application. Um, and I think that's probably probably its greatest strength for me. Um, I, I don't actively use it, but certainly I've messed around with it. And I I think that I walked away from it thinking it is it it really is anything that you want it to be. I mean, it is it is the it is the file manager that you want it to be, and and what you want it to be d- depends entirely upon you. Um, it's not entirely true. I mean, it, it obviously has its limitations, but if you take a look at it, you'll see pretty quickly, I think, that there is there's a lot of configuration options. Um, when you first launch it, you know, by default, just the way that it was intended, I guess, it, it comes up as a dual panel interface. And that's fine. The, the idea is that essentially you have one folder open on the left, you have another folder open on the right, you can drag files from one to the other. That's that's the concept. So you have you always have which which makes sense if you think about it. Like there are a lot of file actions that you you do during the day that requires a source and a destination. In fact, you could probably argue 
that most file activities that you need a file manager for involves a source and a destination. It kind of depends on your own personal workflow, but so, I mean, you know, because some people open up a file manager first, find the file that they want to open in an application, and open the, f the application by way of opening the file. Whereas other people, I feel, go to the application and open the file from the application. And I don't know what the difference is. I don't know if there's something psychologically that goes, you know, just sort of interpretation of, of tasks or whether it's just how you were raised. You know, the, the first grade school teacher that showed you how to do something on a computer happened to show you it this way. Therefore, that's what you got used to. Or, or, or what? But kind of depending on how you use, I think, your computer would probably depend on sort of how file manager-centric it is. In a way, I don't think Crusader is necessarily just a file manager. I think it's kind of a window that accidentally got a desktop put into it. I mean, that's not strictly true at all, but I mean, for instance, Crusader has a device manager. You can mount and unmount file systems with the mount man tool in the tools uh, menu of Crusader. Here's Crusader, go to tools, here's the mount man uh, uh, menu selection. You can open mount man, you can unmount things, you can mount things. It's just right there in a, in a menu. I mean, that's not, that's not completely unheard of. Like Dolphin has does show devices in the left column. You can click them to mount them. It was just interesting to me that that it's a it's a whole other thing. It's it's Mount Man. It has a sub menu. You can open Mount Man to look at at a different view of all of these devices. You can see essentially the output of LSBLK within this kind of graphical view. And actually, it's more than just LSBK. It's also um, DU. You get to see how much of that that file system that you're looking at is 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 used and how much of it is free. Really, really useful, surprising little utility that you don't necessarily expect, I guess. Or, or maybe you do, because again, in Dolphin, you could mount the thing from the left column, you could go into the thing, you could look down at the bottom of the status bar, and it'll tell you how much available space there is. So it's, you know, I'm not talking about things that are just completely unheard of in a file manager. I'm just saying the setup is a little bit different. Um, Crusader supports archive for file formats as well, so you don't need to install like an archive utility. I mean, you do, because you, it, it would need the back end and stuff. But I mean, it you know you don't need like Arc for instance. You can interact natively with Ace. ARJ, BZIP2, DEB, GZIP, ISO, LHA, RAR, RPM, TAR, ZIP, and 7-ZIP. And of course, because it's Crusader's built on KDE, so it has access to all the Ki K the, the KIO stuff. Um, so you can do like SMB colon slash slash to go to a Samba share. F uh, fish colon slash slash for your uh, network uh, file system over SSH and so on. Crusader has a user action menu as well, which is kind of nice. Uh, it's user actions is the is that's the name of the menu, and uh, you can you can make your own, but there are some samples and existing ones that are already here. So, for instance, you could make a uh, convert to WebP user action. And it's it's a super simple kind of little scripting um, language that you can 
you you can create your own little plugin actions really really simply just by just just with a script now it's it's its own little language but it's it's honestly not that complex it is it's simply you can do whatever you want you just have to use placeholders placeholders are keywords that you can use in the commands that you would be writing anyway right so you're you're you know how to do this uh, conversion process to webp naturally you would convert image.png image.webp there done image magic convert easy right yeah but this is crusader it doesn't know you don't know what image.png and image.webp should be you don't know what that is yet so you have to write it in crusader's little scripting language or or rather you have to use its placeholders and placeholders begin with a percent sign and then a panel indicator. There are five panel indicators. There's A, which is the active panel. Again, this is a dual file manager, so you kind of kind of needs to know where you are. So percent A is the active panel. Percent O is the other panel. That's the that's whichever one isn't active. You know, so that that way if you're going from one folder to another, it's you know percent A, percent O. So come from this folder, the active panel, to the other the other one. There's percent %l for the left panel, percent %r for the right panel, and then there's just um, underscore when a panel is not act uh, is not applicable in 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 some case. So, for instance, suppose you want to create an action to convert a selection of images to uh, WebP because WebP is a really pretty cool little graphic format, saves a lot of space. So uh, in, Crus in Crusader, you, you could generate this script, convert percent %a capital L list parentheses quote selected close quote close parentheses percent space percent %a current that's capital C current parentheses 0 comma 0 close parentheses percent sign dot webp. This action invokes the convert command from image magic easy that's what you would normally do and it executes it on the current selection whether it's one file or multiple files crusader doesn't care so you don't have to account for that and then its destination is the current panel the 0 comma 0 in parentheses disables some optional features so you can ignore that uh, and uh, and and puts the file back you know in the current location except with the the extension.webp. So you're essentially saying convert from the, a list of what is currently selected to the current location, but rename it as webp. So that's why it's a list selected to a current webp. It's because whatever's, whatever's selected from the current list and these are so these are these are placeholders, right? So and this is kind of a scripting language within a scripting language. There are, I think, I don't know, eight or nine of them that are really useful. There's list, which is the selected item or a list of the first parameter. For example, uh, a list of paths. There's current, that's the current item. Path, the panel's path. Count, the number of whatever, the first parameter. For instance, the number of items selected in a list. Uh, filter, the panel's filter mask. Select, see what's selected go to change the panel's path so like literally if you wanted to change where the current panel was looking you could go to some other path there's ask which just gets the user input clipboard you guessed it 
looks at the clipboard, and then each, which splits a command into a list and executes each command one after another. There are about 20 total. Those are the ones that I was playing around with, but there are 20 total. They're all listed in the Crusader Handbook, which of course you can get to from the Help menu. So the documentation is there. It is quite good. Um, it, it does take a little bit of rewiring because if you're thinking about it as a strict bash script, then that's that that can be confusing. Crusader cares about panels more than it cares about um, like file paths and things like that because file paths are extracted from the panel information. So when you're telling it to copy it to some file path, well, you don't want to do that. You want to tell it to put it because because the panel could change. Like today, it's 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 looking at the photograph folder, but tomorrow it could be looking at the um, the downloads folder. So you don't want to to hard code usually things like that into your little Crusader user actions. You want to let Crusader figure out where that percent %o, that other panel, is located, or, or what, what path it resolves to. So that takes a little bit of rewiring to really see your scripts, your little user action scripts, through the eyes of Crusader. Like, really restrict yourself to just the graphical representation of that file system. But once you get around that, and certainly simple scripts like conversion scripts, like just, oh, convert this, this PNG to a WebP, that's that's a great exercise. Obviously do it on some safe test things first before you, you go doing like a hundred of your vacation photos that you never want to lose or your wedding photos or whatever. But, but it, it, it works really well. And then you have it forever. It's like a, it's a crusader user action. It's there. You, you, you use crusader, you right click on 20 different files, bang, they're converted. It's very, very cool. Really satisfying. And I know a lot of other file managers have, the ability to extend them, to to script them and stuff. But I mean, this is really nice. This is really easy. So I don't know. Crusader, like, as much as I don't necessarily care about the two-panel layout, I have to admit the the user actions is really, really nice. And just the completeness of the application. Not that it's more or less complete than any other thing. I mean, it's, you know, Dolphin is perfectly acceptable and it's dolphin is what i use still but i don't know crusader crusader is nice so if whether or not you're looking for a different file manager i would say give crusader a look if for no other reason than to to uh, experience the user action options because that is just really nice you might have to get used to the tool the, the dual panel thing that is that is weird but I don't know. Some people love it. What can you do? Obviously, because people, because it's it's there's a bunch of dual um, dual file managers out there, so it's it's obviously popular enough. Um, and it is neat. I mean, it is it's a honestly a pragmatic, practical system if you really think about it. Because like I said, most file manager operations require a source and a destination. It's just that's what we, that's why we have file managers because we're we're taking a file from one place to another. So it, it really does truly make sense to have the dual pane setup. It's just not something that I'm used to. Crusader is not something that I'm used to, but I'm getting really used to it because it is really nice. Check it out. I think that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time.
Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not Klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted. Until next time, thanks for listening, and keep the source open.